0: Uh, We are in a new sermon series we started last week on the life of Jacob called The Unstoppable Blessing. This morning we're in Genesis chapter 27, so I'm going to invite you to turn there uh, in your Bible or click over if you want to in your digital Bible. If you want to use a chair rack Bible, you'll be on page 21. Uh, We're going to be reading the whole chapter this morning, so I've got some help. I've got some people who are going to read it and make it, I think, a little more interesting for you, uh, bring a little more life to it than if I was just going to read it myself. Uh, We've got people reading each of the different uh, narratives, parts in the chapter, so maybe you're uh, new with us. Let me just give you a little context where we're at. Uh, Genesis chapter 27, it steps into the life of Jacob, who we're studying um, when his father Isaac is older, so one of these parts is Isaac and one is Rebecca, who is Isaac's wife. Their two kids are Jacob and Esau, and they're twin boys. And you'll hear right in the beginning that Isaac is kind of nearing the end of his life and he is preparing to give a blessing. And so that's kind of the scene that sets up. Just to give you a little biblical context, if you're familiar with it, Abraham was uh, called by God and chosen by God. And then his son was Isaac. And then Isaac's sons are Jacob and Esau. So that's where we are. Genesis chapter 27, and they're gonna read the whole chapter for us.
1: When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim. So that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him,
2: My son! Here I am. Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me a delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die."
1: Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob,
3: I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies.
1: But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother,
3: Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. And I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice. Go, bring them to me.
1: So he went, and he took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goats. She put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father,
3: I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me.
1: But Isaac said to his son, How is it that
2: you have found it so quickly, my son? Because the Lord your God has granted me success. Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really or not my son Esau or not.
1: So Jacob went near to his father Isaac, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him, and he said, Are you really Esau, my son? I
2: am. Bring it near to me that I may eat my son's
1: game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Come near me, kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son. It's the
2: smell of the field of the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you.
1: As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, When Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father,
4: Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. Who are you? I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau.
1: Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it that the hunted game and brought it to me
2: and ate it before you came? And I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed.
1: As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father,
4: Bless me, even me also, O my father.
1: Your brother came deceitfully,
2: And he has taken away your blessing.
4: Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Have you not reserved a blessing for me?
2: Behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What can I do for you, my son? Have you but one blessing,
4: my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father.
1: And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the
2: fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. By your sword you will live. You shall serve your brother, but when, he grew, when you grow restless, you shall break your yoke from your neck.
1: Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself,
4: The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob.
1: But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent. And called Jacob, her younger son, and said to
3: him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both of you in one day?
1: Then Rebekah said to
3: Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me?
0: Genesis chapter 27, thank you, team, appreciate you doing that for us this morning and allowing us to hear the word of the Lord read for us, and uh, now as we take time to open it up, let's just ask the Lord to lead us. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, it is a living word, and I believe it has something to say to each and every one of us today. Open our hearts and our ears to hear what you would want to say to us. Father, may my words be your words, and may they speak to your church what you would want to say, in Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully, you were able to follow what was going on in that. We're going to unpack it for a few minutes this morning. Let me start with this question. Have you ever wanted something so badly that you went about getting it in a way that later, looking back, you were embarrassed about? you ever want something maybe you wanted to you know something as simple maybe as winning a game and you you know wanted to win so bad how many how many in here are the people that want to win that you'll do anything to win a game how many of you want to elbow the person beside you saying that's you why don't you have your hand up That sometimes you'll do something so badly to win a game that afterwards you're like, oh, why did I do that? Like you were almost embarrassed about what you did and how you said it, uh, but you were just going after what you could get in that moment. Sometimes it's not as simple as winning a game. Maybe it's something you want in life. Maybe it's something you're going after in your career. Maybe it's just winning an argument with someone. And then you want it so bad that afterwards, you know, you go about it in a way that afterwards you feel badly about the way that you went about it. That's not unlike what's going on here in this passage. The, what's at stake here, this blessing that's at stake is, let me explain a little bit what they're kind of fighting over here. Because when we talk about blessing in this series there's actually several blessings that we're talking about last week we talked a little bit about what was the birthright blessing and the birthright blessing is essentially what we would call an inheritance it's like a will the birthright blessing is what the father in this culture would give to his children how he divides up what he has his possessions uh, and usually the way it would be divided up is two-thirds would go to the eldest son, and then one-third would be split between the rest of the children. Fair or not, like it or not, that's just the way it was. Uh, and that was the birthright blessing. That's what Jacob stole or, or extorted from Esau last week that we talked about. Um, but there's another blessing that is in the Jacob story, it really starts in the Abraham story. We might call that we call it the covenantal blessing. And the covenantal blessing is exactly that. It's a covenant that God made with Abraham because after humanity fell into sin, God didn't want to abandon humanity to sin. He still loved humanity and he wanted to make a way for relationship with him as a holy God and with sinful humanity. And he had to make a way to do that. And the way he chose to do that was by making a covenant with Abraham blessing him and saying, I'm gonna bless you and through you, the whole world is gonna be blessed through you. So it goes from Abraham, then it goes to his son, Isaac, then it goes to his son, Jacob, then it goes to Jacob's sons and grandsons, 10 sons, two grandsons, there's 12 of them. They become the 12 tribes of Israel, goes to the nation of Israel. Through that comes Jesus Christ. And through that, the whole world is open to blessing. Uh, Even as we heard this morning, those in Barcelona, Spain, who have not yet heard, this is the blessing that God offers to them, right? So that's the covenantal blessing. But that's not really what's being talked about in this passage. That's not what we're talking about this morning. What's being given in this passage is what we might call the patriarchal blessing. And the patriarchal blessing is this, every father had the opportunity to pass on a blessing to one of his children. And it's not about the inheritance he had, it's really about the future coming and governing of the family. It was who was going to be in charge, who was going to serve who, and he would ask the Lord to bless the one that he was calling out this patriarchal blessing on, to be good to them, to, you heard, bless the land and and give them, you know, good possessions and rule over their siblings. And that's what's at stake in this passage. And so there's this good thing, but it's really, it's not, I don't want it to be confused with the covenantal blessing that we're going to talk about later in the life of Jacob, because what we're really talking about today in the patriarchal blessing is we're really talking about the stuff of this world. We're talking about the things of earth. We're talking about possessions and positions. We're talking about stuff that you and I wrestle with, I think at times. And what we see in this passage is that a hyper-focus on the things of this world will cause you to act selfishly. A hyper-focus on the possessions and the positions of this world can cause us to act selfishly. And the truth is, in this passage, all four of the principal people in this passage are all guilty of acting in this way. I mean, Jacob's the easiest to see, right? I mean, obviously, Jacob, he's a lying, deceiving guy. I mean, you know, he's the easiest not to like in this passage. He's the easiest to see what he's doing. He is, I mean, think about what could be worse than your blind father on his deathbed, just outright lying to him and deceiving and stealing from him. He's not really on his deathbed. He's probably going to live another 20 years, but he thinks he's on his deathbed. And, and the family thinks he might be dying. He's lost his sight. Maybe he's ill. Maybe he's sick. He thinks he's on his deathbed. And so what could be worse than lying and deceiving your father on his deathbed? So jacobs I mean, he's guilty of going after the stuff of this world in a way that later on I think he's going to regret and be embarrassed about. But he's not the only one in this story. Think about, I mean, what about Rebecca? She's the mastermind. I mean, she's a schemer. In our legal language, she would be guilty of aiding and abetting a felon, right? I mean, that's what she's doing. She's helping steal something covertly. She's, she's come up with the plan. She's got the means. She's got the understanding of how to cook a meal that, you know, will be good enough to fool Isaac into thinking it was, you know, cooked by his son. She basically pulls off trying to fool Isaacs, the only four senses he has left, right? She comes up with the goat hair, goat hair so that when, you know, she, Isaac feels him, it will feel like Esau. I mean, she's guilty in this, trying to secure this blessing for her favored son. She's going after it. And even Esau, Esau is guilty in this. I mean, a couple things. Esau, mostly he's guilty of what we saw last week, which is selling his birthright for a bowl of soup. I mean, you talk about being enamored by the stuff of this world. He sells off his inheritance for a bowl of soup in the moment. And then later on in the story, you heard at the end of it, he is vengeful, he is hateful, and he wants to kill his brother. And he says he is going to kill his brother. And then Isaac. Maybe you look at Isaac and you say, well, Isaac's the only one that gets off, you know, scot-free here. I mean, Isaac's the innocent victim. I mean, he's just an old man. He didn't know what he was doing. He was just there. He, he didn't, you know, he was the victim of all this. Well, maybe not so much. I think Isaac would like us to think maybe and maybe convince himself that he has plausible deniability, but not Really? Because here's what Isaac knows. Isaac knows from a word from God given to Rebekah before these two boys were born is that that blessing is supposed to go to Jacob. He knows it. He knows that God said the older will serve the younger and he is supposed to give that patriarchal blessing to Jacob. He also knows that Esau is so foolish that he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. He also knows that Esau went and married two Hittite women, which he wasn't supposed to do. He knows he's not supposed to give this blessing to Esau, but he wants to. He likes Esau. He likes him better than Jacob. And he wants to give this blessing to Esau. And we know that Isaac has guilt in this. And I would say maybe even the most guilt in this. I think he throws the match on the tinderbox. Because he, the way, because of the way he goes about giving the blessing, here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't call his whole family together to give, the, which is what would normally be done. Later on in the book of Genesis, you'll see Jacob call his sons and his grandchildren in, his whole family in, and he will speak to each and every one of them, blessing them. But that's not what Isaac does. Isaac covertly calls in Esau alone And he secretly tries to tell him that he is gonna give him the blessing and he secretly hatches this plan that he is gonna give him the blessing. He knows what he's doing is wrong. The truth is everyone in this story is going after something and acting selfishly in order to get it. They are hyper-focused on the things of this world and it's causing them to act selfishly and it's got guilt on all of their hands which is not unlike us, right? I mean, which of us goes through our lives without getting dirt on our hands and being guilty of going after things in a selfish way? The truth is the story of Genesis chapter 27, which we can look at and stand over and judge and say, oh, this family is awful. And how could these people do that? How can they treat each other this way? The truth is the story of their family is the story of our family, that we have all gone this way. We have all gone ways where we have acted selfishly. We have gone after things in our own way. We're all guilty. And this chapter just, I think, highlights that. And I don't want to rush past it too quickly without us seeing that. We all have dirt on our hands. That none of us get away. Even when we might think we have plausible deniability or, you know, we didn't do anything wrong, (laughs) the truth is at some place and some time we did. One way this was, um, I thought uh, someone summarized this well, um, was in the early 1900s, a newspaper in London ran a question. And they ran this question, and the question was this, what is wrong with the world? And they they, they just ran just that question. They asked people to write in and give responses. And I wonder what your response might be to that. If someone posted that in their Facebook today, just that question, or their Instagram, and they ask for responses, what is wrong with the world? What would your response be? How would you answer that? We all know there's something wrong with the world. We all know the world's broken. We all know that it's not not the way we would want it to be, but what's wrong with it? And I wonder what your answer would be. Well, one answer of uh, G.K. Chesterton, who was an author and a scholar uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, a Christian writer an inspiration for C.S. Lewis. He wrote back to this newspaper a three-line response, and here's his response. Dear sir, I am (laughs) yours, G.K. Chesterton. And G.K. Chesterton wasn't a sociopath. He wasn't a sadist. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't a mass murderer. G.K. Chesterton was a scholar and a writer, endeavoring, as best as I can tell, to live his life for God the best he could. But when you ask what's wrong with the world, his answer is I am. Because at my heart, I'm a sinner and I'm evil and I want the things that I want and I go after them in a selfish way to the detriment of other people. And so are you. And so do you. And this is the place and the condition that we find ourselves in. And this is where we see come out in Jacob and Isaac and Esau and Rebekah, that everyone's going after the things of this world, this patriarchal blessing in their own way. And the truth is none of us are guiltless. The writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon in Ecclesiastes 7, summarized it this way, said, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. We want to judge others, but we know we're guilty. We know we ourselves bear that guilt. So we want to, we want to do well. We endeavor to do it, but we all end up with some dirt on our hands. We go after things in a way that is selfish and in that time in that time when when we may be tempted to go after blessing and go after good things in this earth we act selfishly but we also face some temptations in that moment what do you do when it seems like the blessed life that you wanted is slipping away how do you act when it seems like the blessed life that you wanted is slipping away because that's what's going on in Isaac's family Each of them feels like the blessing that they wanted to secure is slipping through their hands and they go about securing it and going after it in the wrong way and in a selfish way. What do you do when you feel like the blessed life you wanted is slipping away? We face at least two temptations in that moment that I want to talk to you about just for a few minutes and here's one of them. We face the temptation in that moment to give up who you are for what you want. You and I, in that moment when we are going after the things of this earth, when we have a hyper focus on the things of this world, it opens you up to the temptation of trading who you are for what you want. You see it in this passage, right? Jacob goes into his father's presence, and what's the question he's asked? Who are you, my son? I know you're my son but which one are you? Who are you, my son? If he knows it's Jacob, he wants to make him say it. He wants to hear the voice. Who are you, my son? And you have to believe that Jacob, that Jacob positioned himself for this question. He had to know it was coming. He had to get ready for it. He had to know it was coming. But you also have to wonder what he felt in that moment. When he heard his father's voice, say, who are you, my son? And the scripture's response is that Jacob said, I am Esau, your firstborn. Jacob said, I am Esau, your firstborn. And it can't put it any clearer, right? Jacob said, I am Esau. Jacob said. I am Esau. It's like the writer is highlighting it and putting a highlighter there for us. Like, don't miss this. Look what he's doing. Look how he said it. Jacob said, I am Esau. It's the temptation to trade who you are for what you want in that moment. In that moment, he not only gave up his name, he ruined his name. He gave up a name was associated with character, a person in that moment. Jacob not only gave up his name, he gave up his integrity. He gave up his right to be trusted by anyone. He gave up the ability for his word to mean anything anymore. He gave up his identity, his very essence by pretending to be someone else, to get something he wanted more than he wanted his name. You and I will face the temptation to give up who you are to get what you want and what will you do in that moment. And where does that happen in your life and my life? Lots of places. I mean, we can go to the micro uh, scale if we want to look at real small. Where does it happen very literally? Have you ever logged into a streaming service with someone else's account? You are in that moment very literally trading who you are for what you want in that moment. There are places all over the place where we where we trade where we are faced with this trade off. But I'd rather look at the macro picture for a moment. The places where you and I who are called, who call ourselves Christians, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, who say that Jesus means more to us than anything else, who sit, you know, sit in here on Sunday mornings and sing songs about how much we love Jesus and the fact that you and I at times will be faced with this kind of temptation in a world that is constantly putting an offer on the table for you to trade your convictions, trade your beliefs, trade your very identity, for the blessings that this world has to offer. Maybe it happens because you know that you can be accepted into this particular group of friends or this particular sphere of influencers or this business group or this academic group that you can be accepted into it, but you know that the expectation is that you will believe the way they believe, think the way they think, and act the way they act that maybe it's not written out or set out loud but it's pretty obvious that if you have a different point of view you're going to be left on the outside looking in and in that moment the offer is on the table will you trade who you are for what you want i'm not saying you have to go into every meeting and tell people everything you think about everything all the time without being asked I'm not talking about going in and dropping truth bombs and blowing up every relationship you have. I'm not talking about constantly telling people they're wrong, not that. But there will be times when you are straight up asked what you think about an issue, or you are put in a position where somebody turns to you and wants to know what you think about this issue, what you value, what you think is important. And you know that if you say what you believe in that moment, that it's different than what they want you to say. And you know that if you say you believe there's a, you know, there's a world, just take that what's wrong with this world question. If you say, well, I actually believe God created this world good. I mean, just that alone could put you on the outside. You say, I believe God created the world and I actually believe humans have, have messed it up and sinned and, and there's evil in our hearts and that alone in a world that wants to think people are really all good uh, and there's really good in us at the core and there's not sin at the core of our hearts. That alone can put you on the outside looking in. Or if you were simple to say, hey, what'd you do yesterday? Tomorrow morning, someone asks and you say, I went to church. And you know that that alone could maybe put you on the outside looking in. In that moment, will you say what you believe, or will you, like Jacob, say, I am Esau? Will you trade who you are for what you might secure in their blessings and their favor? As a Christian following Jesus, nothing is more central to your identity and to mine than being a follower of Christ. There's no other descriptive word that ought to come after our name before follower of Christ, Jesus follower. That is the most core to our identity. And Jesus knew we would face this temptation to trade who we are for what we want because he said these words in Matthew chapter 10. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Sobering words, but a recognition of the temptation that each of us will face to trade who we are for what we might want in this world. But there's a second temptation we'll face if we are too hyper-focused on the things of this world, and that's this, the temptation to use God to get what you want, Temptation to use God to get what you want. Did you pick it up in Jacob's interaction? Jacob and Rebekah's plan depended on presenting Isaac with a meal before Esau was able to prepare a meal. The quickness of the meal presented before him made Isaac suspicious. So he asks, How is it that you found it so quickly? In order to stop the question from going any further, Jacob plays his trump card. He plays the God card. His answer is this, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. He says, God did it. God did it. Once that card is played, it's conversation over. It's like when someone says you ever heard these words, well, God's telling me to break up with you. (laughs) Or, well, God told me to move. Or God told me to leave this job. And maybe he did and maybe he didn't. But regardless, the conversation's over. Because anything you have to say to the contrary is either going to be arguing with the almighty God Or accusing them of not hearing God correctly. Either one, it's conversation over. And that's what Jacob does in this moment. He said, well, God did it. And while it might have accomplished the goal of ending the conversation, it took Jacob's deception to a whole new level. Now he has made the Almighty complicit in his deceit and lying. He is using God to manipulate another person to get what he wants. Even if it's something that rightfully belongs to Jacob, he has gone from relying on God for the blessing to using the name of God to get it. He is trading on God's credit to get what he wants. It's as if he took out a credit card in God's name and started racking up expenses that he can't pay. Are you ever tempted to do this? At first, you might say, never, not me. But be careful, because it can happen in ways we don't always expect. Have you ever used a Bible verse out of context to support an argument you're trying to make? Taking a verse that you know doesn't mean what you are saying it to mean, because you want to make your point. So you might be guilty of this. Have you ever just used those words, God told me this, when you don't actually know if God told you that? Or God's telling me this and you don't actually know, speaking in the name of God without actually hearing from God. Or maybe you misuse scripture to justify something you don't want to do or want to do. Maybe God is telling you, hey, I want you to go have this hard conversation with this person. And you say, well, God, you said, uh, don't judge, lest you be judged. So I don't think I need to do that. (laughs) Like you use the word of God just to try and justify what you want to do or don't want to do. I've heard people say that because Judas carried a money bag for Jesus, that that means God wants all Christians to be rich. trying to use God's word to justify what you want. It happens in our society all over the place. We can talk about how it happens on the political right and how it happens on the political left. Happens in our society on the right when people try and make God out to be a Republican and conservative. And this is, this is what God is, using the Bible as a reason at times to disobey the very commands to show compassion to the poor or kindness to the stranger. To even try and use God's word to hate people in Jesus' name at times I've heard. But it happens on the left too, trying to make God out to be a Democrat and completely misrepresenting God saying, oh, because God is loving, he doesn't care about the way that you live and justifying actions that are directly contrary to God's very revealed word in the name of God. that at times we may be tempted to try to take God on our side to justify really our position, and we need to be careful because at those times we are using God to really get what we want. We are in many ways similar to Jacob. We have to be careful of those two temptations. Well, how do we, how do we free ourselves? How do we, what's the solution to this? When faced with the temptation to go after the blessing, keep your focus on the blesser. Keep your focus on the one who is giving the gift. Keep your focus on the one who is, is the blesser. Can you notice in this account, nobody's focus is there. God isn't even mentioned in this chapter except when, except when Isaac Uh, wants to call call down his blessing on Jacob and except when Jacob wants to misuse his name, no one's looking to him for guidance. No one's looking to him for direction. But when faced with the temptation to go after the blessing, to be hyper-focused on the things of this world, keep your focus on the blesser because that will set you free and allow you to overcome these temptations. You know where I see it? I see it in the life of Jesus when he faced temptation. Because later on when Jesus will come and he will, just before his ministry, right after he's baptized, he will be taken out into the desert and the wilderness to be tempted by Satan himself. And Matthew records that instance in Matthew chapter 4. And it says this, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Talk about a temptation to be focused on the things of this world. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. Just make these stones into bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Devil tries again. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord, your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Each and every one of these temptations, Jesus is faced with a temptation to grasp for the things of this world. But it's this last one that I think brings it across most clearly. Satan was given dominion over the, for a time over the things of this world. And he says, you know what? All these kingdoms, they're mine. I'll give them to you. And you don't have to go through the cross is essentially the offer that's on the table. And Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In other words, I'm going to keep my eyes on the blesser. I'm going to keep my eyes on my father. I'm going to keep my eyes on the giver of the gift and not simply the gifts not simply the things of this earth. And you and I, we don't, we're not Jesus, but we, he has set a model for us and an example. And I believe the way you and I have any chance at resisting the temptation to trade our identity for what we want or by using and misusing the name of God, that we will have to keep our eyes on God. That we'll have to keep our eyes on the giver of the gift more so than the gifts that we want in our hands. And how do we do that? I'm gonna ask the team to come back just as we close and I give you this last kind of point. First, my big idea this morning is this. When it seems like blessing in your life might be slipping away, keep your focus on the blesser. Don't start grabbing for those temptations. Don't start, don't start being selfish. Don't trade who you are and don't use God's name in a way that is manipulative. Just keep your eyes on the blesser. Keep your eyes on God. Trust him that he will do what he said he was gonna do. I don't know how the blessing would have got to Jacob, but I promise you it would have got there. If Jacob said, I am not going to manipulate and extort and do anything underhanded, I promise you God would have made sure that blessing got to him. But because he acted this way, what we'll see, it's a future his whole family blows up. Rebecca, who just said, go to your uncle's house and, w- and then I'll tell you to come back when it's safe, never sees her son again as long as she lives. It blows the whole family yeah. up. How do we do this? How do we keep our focus? Well, I just want to leave you with this thought. Uh, last year we talked about uh, a historical season in the church's calendar called Lent. And we talked about uh, the importance that that can serve for us to take a focus prior to Resurrection Sunday, prior to Easter Sunday, taking that. The church throughout history has often taken that period of time to fast and focus on the cross of Jesus Christ. And I think there's an opportunity here to say, let me take these 40 days between what this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, it's actually 46 days. And if you wanna know more about that, go back to our Lent sermon from last year and you go on our website, there's the, you can find the Lent sermon from last year and you can go back there and hear more about what, you know, the, what the church has historically done with Lent. But it's, it, the idea is to take a season of time and to focus on the cross and to fast and to step back and to say what appetites maybe need to be quenched in my life. I think this is a good opportunity to to step back and say, I need to keep my focus on the blesser and the blessed. The blesser and not just the blessing. I was reading a book this past year called Prayer in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, it's a great book. I, I'd recommend it to you. It's on. It's it's based around what's called the prayer of compline, which is an evening prayer. Maybe some of you are familiar with. Tish Harrison Warren is an Anglican priest, and um, she. Um, I find her writing's helpful, and she wrote this book called Prayer in the Night, and she's talking about one of the first times she experienced what they practice for Ash Wednesday. I know we don't practice ash giving ashes in our church, but I think that the the practice of it. The reminder of mortality, is, it can be helpful, right? And so she's, she's uh, talking about the first time that she had done what many of you have done maybe in your past uh, churches. She kneeled down before the altar rail and the priest came with the ashes on her forehead and made the sign of the cross and, and said, from dust you have come until dust you, have return, you will return. And you're, you're dust and reminder of our mortality, which is I think really helpful. And she's kneeling there beside a, a young girl and her mom. Preteen girl, and let me just read what she writes. She says she's kneeling beside this this girl, and she, after the ashes are applied to her forehead, and she turns to her mom once the priest gets a little further away and can't hear her, and she turns to her mom and says, "Does my ash look all right?" And Tish writes this. She said, "I started to laugh to myself because, of course, it didn't look all." She had a large black smudge in the middle of her forehead. There is no way for that to look all right. And then she says, I know I'm limited. I know I'm dust and returning to dust. I bear vulnerability, weariness, and mortality. I bear sin, selfishness, and struggle. But I still want to, you know, look okay. this is who we are we are broken people sinful all of us with dirt on our hands ashes on our foreheads reminding us of our mortality we are broken and dust and yet we still want to look okay And in order to do that at times we give into the temptations of this world we trade who we are for what we want we use God's name to gain Give you, I'm going to close with this these questions I gave you last year during the Lent sermon from Tish Oxenrider, different Tish. She has a book called Bitter and Sweet. And um, she gave these five questions. I'll give them to you individually, then I have them on a slide that you can snap a picture of if you want to keep them with you quickly. Have I become overly dependent on particu- a particular sustenance, substance, or practice lately? Which appetites have a unique grip on my body or soul these days? What would be genuinely challenging but not burdensome fast? What would be truly freeing to leave behind? What do I sense God calling me? So in these next, maybe you between now and Wednesday work through these questions in your prayer time and in your quiet time with the Lord. And maybe between now and Wednesday, the Lord might identify for you, you know what? This appetite is getting way too much attention in your life. You know what? This substance is becoming too much a focus of your life. You know what? This this part of your life, you need to fast from it. You need to cut it out. You need to let it go. You need to step away from it for at least these 40 days. And you need to take that time that you normally spent on that and think about Jesus and focus on the cross and read scripture and take time to pray. And you need to get your eyes off the things of this world and get your eyes on to the blesser and the giver of the gifts. And I would challenge you and encourage you between now and Wednesday to take some time to work through those questions, to pray about that, to ask the word, what is it that I might eliminate from my life that I might focus more on the cross of Jesus Christ? And then in that way, I live my life for God in a greater way, resisting the temptations. They're going to come my way. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we are dust and we return to dust and we are mortal and we are broken and we fall into temptation and we are selfish people. We confess it, Lord. But Lord, through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, we thank you that we have received righteousness and holiness and can be saints and not sinners and can be seen as redeemed and loved by you because of the blessing that began with Abraham and comes to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we recognize that we are broken and have dirt on our hands and we still want to look good and at times We have given in to temptations that have not been consistent with who we say we are and who we say you are. So forgive us, Lord. Forgive us and strengthen us to live the lives that you have called us to live. Help us to live loving Jesus the way we sing about our love for Jesus. Keep us from temptation, Lord. Deliver us from evil even the evil, and maybe most especially the evil that dwells within our own hearts, Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name and with his strength and by his spirit. Amen. Would you stand as we call out our service in the song?